0: This dirty low-down place here. I know. I know. Oh my God. What'll I wear? I gotta get my hair cut. Oh, this is just the sense of purpose I need. I gotta get me some of those press-on nails. Do those things stay up? I wouldn't want them flopping off in any of those fancy nightclubs. Listen, nightclubs, this is business. Now you get a grip on yourself. We're going to New York City. We're going to New York City. Welcome to Out of Touchstone. I'm your co-host, Mike DeKalb. You can find me on Twitter, at Mike MikeDeKalb. And sitting on the other end of the Skype line, the quarantine Skype line, is my co-host, Chad Smart. How are you doing, Chad?
1: I'm holding up. You know, it's it's these Skype episodes are always interesting. And someday, someday I just know that we'll be back in the studio together. But until then, uh, I guess this is normal.
0: Yes. Social distancing, even though you live three blocks away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, for this episode, I wanted to try something a little bit different. Um, in previous episodes, we or at least the last episode of a year, we'll do like a little recap. And I thought, you know, there was just so much information I wanted to put in. And I thought, let's just do a standalone episode. So for this episode, we're going to look at the year 1988 in cinema, specifically in Touchstone as well. And then we've got some special treat for you at the end. But before we get to the Touchstone films, I think, Chad, you said you had some... Notes you wanted to point out about the year 1988 in cinema and some introductions.
1: Yeah, I have some. I was thinking here about an hour before we started recording that, you know, let's let's look at what else was going on in the year 1988 besides Touchstone film. I mean, not that we really should because Touchstone is the major focus, and, of course, everybody knows that's the best, but there are other things going on that will have an impact on Touchstone In the future. So, the first thing I looked at was notable births in 1988. So, these are people that, you know, would be turning 32 years old this year. Okay. Uh, uh, First, I only have three that felt were were, uh, mentionable, I guess. Uh, First is he just turned 32 a couple weeks ago as we record this on April 10th. And that's the start of the Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. Easy for me to say. That's Haley Joel Osment.
0: Uh, I don't even want to imagine what a 32 year old <laughs> Haley Joel Osment looks like. Yeah.
1: Oh, you've not seen him lately? You should go watch Tusk or Future Man on Hulu. Um, then on August 24th, Harry Potter's good pal Rupert Grint will be celebrating a birthday. And, you know, that's the one that really makes you feel old because, well, not that Haley mm. Joel was, you know, old in his debut in Sixth Sense, but you still look at those. Uh, Harry Potter films, and you're like, oh, these little kids. Not so little anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then rounding out the notable births for 1988, November 6th, Emma Stone.
0: Ah, okay.
1: okay. So, yeah, I would not have guessed that all three of these people were the same age. Sure. Yeah. On the, on the flip side of that, though, I have two uh, deaths that I think were very... Uh, one was shocking, and the other is, uh, you know, dear... Near and dear to an 80s child's heart. And the first is, on February 1st, at the age of 12, we lost Heather O'Rourke, the star of Poltergeist. Ah, okay. Yeah. And then on August 11th, Ma Fratelli and Ramsey died at the age of 59. And that's one where you're like, wow, she was only 59? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, didn't she have some sort of, like, wasn't that some kind of condition that she had? Or
1: I uh, that? Not sure, but apparently, you know, from what I've read about her, one of the nicest people, and I recently watched uh, the the cast of the Goonies got together via Zoom along with Dick Donner and Steven Spielberg and Chris Columbus, and, and again, they only had positive things to say about Anne Ramsey. Oh,
0: okay, very nice. And, and where was, is it, was, that the, was that the thing that Josh Gad did? Yes. Okay. So it's, to on, look. I, it's on Josh
1: Gad's... Get Josh Gad's YouTube channel. So it's okay. it's interesting. It's a little choppy in the editing, but yeah. but it's fun to see all the Goonies reunited, and especially with uh, Spielberg and Donner and Columbus there. And nice. yeah, hopefully, I, I you know they mention it, but I'm I'm going to say like we don't need a Goonies two. Like let's just hold our memories.
0: Well, I mean, let's see yeah. how long that they can hold out. I yeah, think. that's just. You know, we'll see. Um, Well, I guess if we bring it back to Touchstone, I guess I wanted to look at... Well, 1987 was a great year for Touchstone, as we discussed. Um, They put out nine films that year, all of them comedies or comedy hybrids, and eight of of the nine finished in the top 50 at the year-end box office, and the only one that didn't was Hello Again, which finished 55th, so it just missed. Whereas in 1988, the Touchstone films... Some successes, but also some more mediocre to not-so-good films. Um, So just to recap, we'll we'll go through all ten of the Touchstone films, and I'll list them by most successful to least successful. Um, The first one is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which finished second at the year-end box office with $156.4 million. Cocktail, which I cannot believe this finished (laughs) in the top ten, Cocktail was number nine at the box office with $78.2 million. Uh, Beaches made fifty-seven point fifty-seven million million and finished 15th at the box office. Uh, 27th at the box office was Big Business with $40.1 million. Shoot to Kill was 37th at the box office and made $29.3 Ernest Saves Christmas, the most successful Ernest film, made $28.2 million to finish 38th. Now we start to slip down a little yeah. bit further. Uh, DOA. Makes only twelve point seven million dollars and finishes seventy seventh at the box office. The rescue makes five point nine million, good enough for one hundred and fifteenth at the box office. One hundred eighteenth is Heartbreak Hotel with five point five million, and then rounding out the list, if you want to call it that, rounding out, uh, The Good Mother only makes four point eight million, good enough for one hundred and twenty third. At the box office. Um, Just as an aside, Disney had four films that that year: two re-releases and two original films. Uh, The original films, Oliver and Company, was 17th with 53.3 million, and Return to Snowy River was 72nd with 13.7 million. The two re-releases, Bambi finished 28th at the box office with 39 million, and The Fox and the Hound finished 43rd with 23.6 million. So that's the touchstone slate, but what about the big winners that year? What were the top ten at the box office, Chad?
1: Well, you already mentioned two of them in Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Cocktail, but the other eight, coming in at number ten, you had Beetlejuice with $73.7 million. As we mentioned, number nine was Cocktail, and this is what I found interesting, and depending on where you look, these two movies are actually flipped. Mm. They're a couple hundred thousand dollars off difference but coming in at number eight was naked gun with 78.7 million dollars so about half a million more than cocktail okay so i'm just going to say that that shows that leslie nielsen is a bigger box office draw than tom cruise
0: <laughs> in 1988 <laughs>
1: yeah. yes so uh number seven you had die hard coming in at with 83 million number six crocodile dundee 2 with 109 million which kind of wow. surprised me that it yeah, made that much. A sequel, no that's Okay. Yeah, fine. number five, two of the biggest stars on the planet in 1988, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito in Twins with 111.9 million. Okay. Uh, just a little bit more than that with 114.9 was big living up to its name at number four. Number three, Coming to America with $128 million. Number two, as we said, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And the number one movie of 1988, which is kind of surprising and also disproves my theory that um, Leslie Nielsen is a bigger star than Tom Cruise. The number one movie is Rain Man with $172.8 uh,
0: uh Yes, the, the return of Tom Cruise. He makes up for Cocktail with the... Movie that won of winning Best Picture, and I think you discussed this on one of your other podcasts. But it feels like the movies that are really successful at the Oscars are not big box office films. And was it was it mm. three or four times it's happened in history?
1: Uh, I think it's only three. I think it's Rain Man, uh Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Titanic, right? Uh, Titanic, oh yeah, I'm sorry, Titanic so? and Forrest Gump. Yes, those are the other two.
0: I forgot yeah, all about so to Titanic m- to win Best Picture and also the box be film. number one at the box office. Yes. Yeah. Um, as far as, and speaking of Oscar nominations, I thought it would be interesting to look at if, if any of the Touchstone films from 1988 had gotten Oscar nominations. We mentioned it on the individual episodes, but I wanted to just refresh my memory. Unfortunately, only two of the 10 films got Oscar nominations Beaches, Beaches got one nomination for Best Art Direction, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit gets, got six nominations. Um, it gets nominated for Best Sound, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography. And then it wins for Best Visual Effects, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Film Editing. And it also gets a Special Achievement Award for Richard Williams for his animation direction. Um, Then as far as the the rest of the Oscar winners, I was going to throw that over to my co-host, Chad. Have you got a list of just the major categories, at least? Yeah.
1: So for Best Documentary – no, I'm kidding (laughs) – well, shout out to all the documentary filmmakers out there. Uh, for the actor in a leading role, your winner was Dustin Hoffman for Rain Man. Other nominees: uh, Gene Hackman for Mississippi Burning, Tom Hanks in Big, Edward James Olmos Stand and Deliver, and Max von Sydow for Pele the Conqueror, which I'm pretty sure was just a make good nomination for overlooking him in Flash Gordon. Ah. So good. <laughs> uh for the actor in a supporting role, your nominees were Dean Stockwell, Married to the Mob, River Phoenix, running on empty, Martin Landau for Tucker, the man in his dream, Alec Guinness, Little Dorrit, who I sad to say didn't even realize was still acting at this time. Mm. And the winner was Kevin Klein in a fish called Wanda.
0: Ah, uh, so good, so yeah. good.
1: For actresses, your nominees in a leading role Sigourney Weaver, Gorilla's in the Mist. Wouldn't be the Oscars without a nomination for Meryl Streep for *A Cry in the Dark*. I'm not even going to say that the Dango ate her baby. No. Melanie Griffith in *Working Girl*, Glenn Close in *Dangerously Azons, and the winner was Jodie Foster for *The Accused*. All right. Which is, uh, I think, uh, I've only seen *Dangerously Azons and *Working Girl* of those films.
0: I've only seen Working Girl, <laughs> and that was years, that was years ago, yeah, right.
1: yeah. Well, speaking of Working Girl, in the actress in a supporting role, Sigourney Weaver was nominated, so making her a double nominee this year. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer for Dangerous Liaisons, Frances McDormand for Mississippi Burning. Again, did not realize Frances McDormand had been around this long. I, I think most of oh, us yeah. probably came to know her in Fargo. Um,
0: mm-hmm. well, blood, I remember, well, she was also in Blood Simple okay. way back in the day with the Coens, right? Yeah,
1: that's... I wonder how she keeps getting those jobs with the Coens. Hmm. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Working Girl brings up another actress supporting girl nomination with Joan Cusack. And the winner is Gina Davis for The Accidental Tourist. Okay. Right. And then we'll go to directing. Shockingly, Mike Nichols gets a nomination for Working Girl. Alan Parker for Mississippi Burning. Scorsese for The Last Temptation of Christ. Charles Crichton for A Fish Called Wanda. And if you're ever on Jeopardy! and you want to know, if they say name another film by Charles Crichton, you'll have to let me know what it is, because it's not a name that I recognize. No. And then, of course, your winner is Barry Levinson for Rain Man. And then we'll jump down to Best Picture, which, as we said, is already your winner is Rain Man. And this is back when the director and and Best Picture usually went hand-in-hand. But the other nominees, The Accidental Tourist... Dangerous Liaisons, Mississippi Burning, and Working Girl, which just shows the Oscars really love dramas.
0: Because Man, it makes you long for the days when there were only five nominees for pictures. Yeah. It seemed like it made that race a little bit tighter. Yeah. And, and a shout, shout out to Barry Levinson. Two, he made two Touchstone films in 1987 <laughs> and wound up winning Best uh, Picture and Director the following year.
1: Yeah, so... and looking at my list of other notable films from 1988, I'm kind of surprised Bull Durham didn't get any nominations in there
0: oh really i mean i mean mean, don't get me wrong i love that movie but i don't remember it being that sort of i don't know critically acclaimed Hmm. as far as from an awards perspective
1: maybe maybe it's the history that it has on its side to make me think that being surprised that susan sarandon or kevin costner didn't get an acting nomination and that it didn't at least get a original script maybe it got an original script we didn't go over those but i doubt it Hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah it, did, it did get nominated for original screenplay for okay. Ron Shelton, who I did okay. see. We did, I got to see him speak at a screening of Jolder, a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, but as far as awards, here we are on Out to of Touchstone. I, I decided it would be fun if we looked at the films from Touchstone 1988 and gave our own awards. And to give it a good namesake, I could think of nothing better than, of course, the great Ron W. Miller. Founder who created Touchstone while he was running Walt Disney Pictures. So instead of the Oscar Awards, I decided we can call these the Ronnie Awards. Um, we'll keep it simple and we'll just do the four acting categories and the best picture. And we also had my my wife who produces this mm-hmm. show had a suggestion that we should give our be- a list for the best soundtrack. So we'll do that as well. So just six six simple categories. Uh, we can we'll start with the best supporting actress, and I would go first. I didn't think it was the strongest year for touchstone films for that category, but I wound up going with Elizabeth Shue in Cocktail, uh, simply because I mean, I mean, I did not like that movie, but, <laughs> but I really thought that she was really good. I think she she carried her own against you know two big stars with Tom Cruise and I mean Brian Brown. might not be a huge star for people now, but back then, I mean, he's got a, he's a strong actor. And I think she did just fine against those two. Uh, she has this kind of just really natural acting ability. I and We saw it in Adventures in Babysitting. It's just she's very effortless. I guess I'm just maybe I'm biased. I'm just a huge mm-hmm. fan of her work. Um, but then she also shows this dramatic range against, you know, the romantic entanglement that's going on in in their lives. I mean, it's, it's easy to say that, you know, she's the best part of the worst part of the movie. Right? <laughs> like it seems like with the cocktail, the stuff in New York city was more interesting to me than the stuff that happens on the Island. Mm-hmm. But yet she made the scenes on the Island actually worthwhile riveting. Like, because you wanted, you, I wanted to see what she did. And then when you get, when you get back to New York, then I think that's where she, she kind of flexes her dramatic muscle toward the end. Again, not, not a whole lot of nominees to choose her necessarily, but I really thought that she was one of the better ones. Yeah. Uh,
1: Well, I'll I'll save my Elizabeth Shue comments for a little bit later, but uh, I went with Lily Tomlin in Big Business. Okay. Okay. Just because I thought she was actually the better sister role in that movie. Uh, I, I think she played the country and city versions better. Or the two, like the, you know, one, even though she's in the city, she wants to be in the country and then there's the pure country. And I think she captured the essence of both of those characters um effort, effortlessly and did a really good job and mm-hmm. yeah i you know looking at this list of movies touchstone put out 10 films but as we'll see when we get down here i, I don't think that we have a
0: lot of contenders for these awards unfortunately some of them some, some categories are better than others yeah. um yeah you're right you're right lily tomlin i i think as we discussed in our episode about big business that I think the city version of Lily Tomlin and the country version of Bette Midler were like the two best mm. um, personas or whatever the, out of the four. Mm. And and yeah, so I could see that. I, I it's, a, it's a strong choice. I didn't mm. think about her. I think of like two leads, but I guess she is kind of supporting because Bette Midler does, seems to carry the movie a little bit more, but mm. I don't know. I had to go back and look and see how much screen time one got versus the other. All my life, I felt like I was out of place, like I didn't belong. <laughs> And I didn't. I hate my job. I hate shopping. I hate New York in June.
1: How about you? I hate grits. And I hate men who smell like beer and bean dip. And I hate making love in the back of recreational vehicles. Am I rich now? We're all rich. How <laughs> oh, to hell with that. We got a meeting to get to. We're all
0: on the same side now that we're sisters. Right. Right. Of course. <sighs> um, then did, you, did you have any honorable mentions in the Best Supporting Actress category?
1: Yeah, I did, and I just realized that I put down a Supporting Actress honorable mention for both Supporting Actor and Supporting Actress, so good job on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Joanna Gleason for Who Framed Roger Rabbit.
0: Joanna
1: Cassidy. Cassidy, I'm sorry, I don't know where I got Joanna Gleason from.
0: Yes, but. she was. She was one of my honorable mentions as well. Yeah, I liked her a lot in that. And then I even had I had Miami Bialik in Beaches. Mm. I think I think she was, you know, yeah. not a whole lot of screen time, but really does a lot with it. And then if you're looking, for just I mean, I also had Meg Ryan from DoA. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. It's that's not the most memorable movie, but she was no. one of the better parts of that movie, I
1: guess. Yeah, and I had Kirstie Alley as well. Um, from shoot oh, to kill, right. just
0: shoot I, to kill. Sure. Again,
1: she's the only female in the film that she carries her part. Uh, you know, for only knowing her primarily from Cheers at this point, I thought she uh, did a good job.
0: Yeah, I think look who's talking is not for another year or two. Right? Mm-hmm. So, but uh, okay, okay. Right. And then for best supporting actor, I'll let Chad you go first. What, what was who was your choice for well, best supporting actor? If
1: you don't pick this this one, I'm going to be very disappointed. But uh, I think it's got to go to Fred Ward for big business.
0: Ooh, that's a strong choice, John.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, Rune is a great character. Fred Ward, uh, just one of those great character actors. And I believe, you know, next year he would be in 1989, he would be in tremors or 90 uh, coming up, uh, which is another o- overlooked masterpiece in my opinion. But yeah, I just really like the character of Fred of Rune in big business. Like we said, it does suffer from the uh, no talking, flaw of of the film where Mm -hmm. people don't explain themselves. They just go about their business, but it's big business. And Fred Ward is uh, my, my uh, pick for supporting actor for touchdown 1988.
0: Yeah. And I think we discussed it on the episode as well, but of the, you know, there's four characters, two lilies, two bets, and they each have a romantic attachment. And the Fred Ward attachment with this, with the city, Lily Tomlin is the best of the four relationships. You know, and I, I can kind of overlook that that whole silly uh, miniature golf subplot <laughs> that he's involved with, where he's he goes to some tournament that's being broadcast on ESPN and then leaves in the middle of it when he finds out that that, that his Lily Tomlin has gone to to New York. But yeah, you're right; he does control the screen in a lot. I, I will say before I give my choice, this was the the deepest category I think mm. of all the categories that we had. The, I, I I have no 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 less than eight different uh, actors to choose from. Oh, and we'll wow. get to them in my honorable mentions that I thought were all really solid and did good. And I got to say, and, and uh, Fred Ward was one of my honorable mentions and he was a close choice for me, but don't make fun of me because I know you will. <laughs> and again, maybe maybe my biases are showing a little bit, but my choice for best supporting actor for 1988 from Touchstone is David Keith in Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I kind of thought that might be where you're going if you're not going with Fred Ward. So, yeah,
0: I just I really think like you know, a lot of Oscar awards go to people who play real people, mm. and I think with a movie like this, you know, it's got to be difficult to play someone who is really you know a real person. But can you imagine you know playing one of the most famous people ever? And I think there's this expectations you got to live up to. I, I really thought that he you know he fit the shoes, the blue suede shoes, mm. if you will. He fit them really well. Um, and we mentioned on the show that there's been a handful of on screen depictions of Elvis, but you don't see a lot from the later era. Like, usually, when, if you see young Elvis on a movie, it's more serious. And if you see the later era Elvis, it's usually played for laughs, you know, like Bruce Campbell and Bubba Hotep. Whereas this one was a little bit more grounded. Yes, I guess the movie was a comedy, sort of fantasy comedy fable, but he's not doing it. He's not just kind of like oh look he's fat and he's overweight and he's wearing sequins Mm. like he tries to play it like a like a real rock star um i think he played you know he played the character as both confident but also agitated like you could he was the the anger that he displays in the film very believable you know his frustration with not being able to go out i i I did enjoy that and also you know the singing ability is somewhat comparable Mm. you know not not that elvis was ever really known as a great singer but i think david keith was good enough that you sometimes couldn't tell which version of the song you were hearing because the, the soundtrack splits up the Elvis songs with the versions recorded by, by David Keith as well. So I I, I just give him credit. I, I really thought he kind of commands the screen when he's there. It must be a tough job, and I think he did a good enough job with it. We're going out. What for? I want a
1: cheeseburger. I'll call room service. No, I don't want a room service cheeseburger. I'm one of them greasy kinds. I could get in a coffee shop, you know, with the little jukeboxes on the tables.
0: The whole city knows you're here. It's on the radio, TV, in the papers. You go out, people tear you up. I want a cheeseburger. Well, we'll send somebody out for one. I want to go out and get it. I want to sit down in the coffee shop and eat it myself. Well, we can do like we always do, man. Go there after hours. You can have the whole coffee shop to yourself. Grease and all. I'm sick of having the place all to myself. But for honorable mention, I mean, again, I told you, you can't, You throw Fred Ward in there. I have six other choices for honorable mention. So I'll let you go first with that one. Chad, do you have any other honorable mentions for the Best Supporting Actor category?
1: I do. And like I said, it's Joanna Cassidy for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Because oh, okay. Because I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to uh, make lists properly. <laughs> but uh, I would say... You know, probably going to throw in Brian Brown for Cocktail, because yeah. like I said, I think he, as we discussed, he's actually the more interesting aspect of the film. And had they focused on him, I think Cocktail could have been a better picture.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And I had Brian Brown as, a, as a, one of my honorable mentions as well. Uh, I had Tom Berenger from Shoot to Kill, mm-hmm. I mean I know he might have been good enough to be in the acting category, but I think he is sort of secondary to Sidney Poitier. So um, I have Christopher Lloyd from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I think Mm -hmm. he plays just a great villain when you hear about all the different actors who were considered for it. And I think they did a great choice with that. As you mentioned, Fred Ward, Brian Brown. Um, I also had John Hurd from Beaches. um, I thought he was really – he does a really good job of having to balance that character where he romances Barbara Hershey at first but then ends up with Bette Midler and then falls out of love with Bette Midler. Uh, And then I had two nominees from The Good Mother, and that was Liam Neeson and Jason Robards. Hmm. Um, who are both are both fantastic. Yeah. I, I forget about that movie sometimes. Jason Robards, his, his, his role is not that good, but boy, when he's on screen, he's fantastic. And then Liam Neeson, I think, does kind of carry the movie a little bit. I mean, it, it's about Diane Keaton, but a lot of the drama happens as a result of Liam Neeson's character and for being such a sort of young, unheralded actor at that time.
1: Yeah, I yeah. completely forgot yeah. about Jason Robards in that film. I mean, he's yeah. he's a
0: fantastic actor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you have mark price for the rescue uh you know i w- i thought about maybe having cromwell james cromwell mm. from the rescue he's about the only i mean I, the movie's really not known for its acting but i think he's such a, plot, a great actor or a story yeah. <laughs> hey it was fun. it was more fun than it was it was one of those ones that was goofy we all watch it together on a friday night it, it, that's the kind of movie that that you could do that with yeah. um okay so for best actress I, there were a couple of really strong performances this year, but my choice I thought was Barbara Hershey from Beaches. Uh, she mm. was absolutely outstanding, just completely dynamic and commanded the screen whenever she was on. I mean, it seems like it's supposed to be a Bette Midler star vehicle, but it's really about the two of them. And she does a good job of showing. I, I thought what was interesting was you know she shows the passage of time in an era when they didn't they weren't doing like dramatic makeup effects, right? You know, they didn't, because you got to show a 30 year friendship, but yet they just do subtle differences with her character. And that's how you know that she's the younger version versus the older version, rather than just doing a bunch of prosthetic makeup. You know, they show her when she's fresh out of college and then they show her older and married with child. And, and she has to do that through her acting. Like you have to see the maturity level change. Um, I thought she did a good job of more or less upstaging that larger than life persona of Bette Midler. Mm-hmm. I, and, and, it's so easy when you have a a main character who gets sick to just totally overact. And she, I thought she, she just kept it very subdued. She didn't overplay her sickness. You know, there was this very believable pain and heartbreak that she showed knowing that she wasn't going to get to see her daughter grow up, you know? And at the end of the day, it's really one of the great highlights of what I think is a fairly underrated career. So I have Barbara Hershey from Beach. Oh, Cease, I'm so glad to see you. I feel awful for sending your letters back. I don't even know what happened in New York. I don't care anymore. I want you to know, whatever it was you said, I forgive you.
1: My pick for Best Actress, though, is Bette Midler for Big Business. Just because there wasn't... You know, again, I think it comes down to not a lot of strong female leads in these films. Sure. And, you know, even the good mother, like you said, it's Diane Keaton, but she's kind of a secondary character to the Liam Neeson character. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's not much else, you know, as much as I would love to give it to Billy bird for Ernest Sage Christmas. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't think her role was big enough to warrant. So yeah. And I thought that mother, I thought big business was probably the, uh, if we had the surprise of the year for me, like I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. So, Mm -hmm. and of course, but Miller, again, going back to like what I said about Lily Tomlin, being able to play two different personas of the same character
0: worked. Yeah. I always say, you know, first of all, they always talk about how, you know, the Oscars don't like to do comedy Mm -hmm. for the most part. And that's why they had the golden globes because you have this split it between the comedy and the drama. Um, And I remember like, I, I was always, it always bothered me that, that Eddie Murphy's performance in Bowfinger never got any real award recognition because I thought that was so difficult to do two distinct characters who were brothers, huh. you find out in the movie, and, and played them both to just com- full comedic effect. And I think, like, you're right. I, it's funny you mentioned them because those were the two honorable mentions that I had Bette Miller in Big Business hmm. and Diane Keaton in The Good Mother. And I think Diane Keaton just kind of suffers from a little bit, like I said, there's a couple scenes in the movie where she just goes on a rant for no good reason hmm. just to sort of be acting, you know, whereas, yeah, Bette Midler is fantastic in that, in that movie. And we talk about, you know, the Queen of Touchstone, and we're just like, oh, another Bette Midler movie, another Bette Midler movie. Oh, no, Bette Midler. But I think, like, Ruthless Ruth People, she's not as involved, but Big Business, she is so good. That movie hmm. was, like you said, it was surprisingly good. I, I was not expecting a whole lot and the strength of her performance does kind of carry. so that's a very good choice
1: as far as honorable mention the only one that i have and this goes into you know how do you classify i had elizabeth Shue from cocktail mainly just because i thought she was the only lead female or the only female character who really had some substance to her and yeah it's more of process of elimination
0: yeah i mean I, i think i had her as supporting just because of the the fact that, you know, you don't even see her for the, for the hmm. you know, halfway through the film. And the movie's really about, seems like it's more about Tom Cruise and Brian Brown. Yeah. I guess she's sort of an actor's thought. And then especially the way he, the way that Tom Cruise throws her away, <laughs> the way that character does. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as far as best actor, unfortunately, we had the same issue. I don't think there were a lot of performances. And I would not be surprised if you and I have the same one. Mm-hmm. But my choice for best actor was Sydney Poitier from Shoot the Kill. Oh. Interesting. And, oh, oh, okay. No. Okay. No. Yeah, because... I, I just, I really think that, you know, he shows that the passion of justice, like in this maniacal pursuit, um, I, I, my first thought when I was kind of recapping this was that, you know, you can only hope that real people in his position, you know, work as tirelessly hmm. to find, you know, because you don't hear a lot about a lot of that major police work. It just, you know, you might hear about it after the fact or if they make a movie on it or someone writes a true crime novel or a podcast. But I like to think that there's a lot of people like him that are just as doggedly you know the, the the pursuit that they that they apply to fugitives um i really think it was one of the better performances that i've seen in a from by a policeman you know in that sort of quote unquote cat versus mouse genre you know what i'm talking mm-hmm. about right there's yeah. that 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 genre's been done to death and it's easy to just kind of either overact or not be as strong and and sydney sydney's fantastic uh, like i said tom berenger certainly you know lifts him up but sydney is the one who is responsible for carrying like the dramatic force of the film you know he doesn't overact like I said, it's a very control i called it a very controlled depiction of a frustrated character because mm-hmm. you can only imagine at the beginning when he when he when he loses him and then he has to go up to the northwest and enlist tom Beringer's help and he doesn't do it without being like i said hamming and hamming it up but i also like that there is occasional humor in the film and he does that just as well like he effortlessly switches from like the shocked angry character just, to sort of this delightful pleasant character who tries to weigh the brevity of the situation with a little bit of humor. So my choice was Sidney Poitier in Shoot to Kill. Three days to a telephone. How do you stand it out here? You ought to try it sometime. Might do you some good. Couldn't do it. I'm Big City. Well, tell me something. What would you miss besides telephones? Everything. Activity, action, theater, music, getting a good meal at four in the morning, everything.
1: I think the ending of the film and, and Sydney Portier's last scene on the boat kind of took me out of contention for him. But also, oh, okay. also, I think, you know, when you look at this, my choice for best actor was Bob Hoskins. And who wow. framed Roger Rabbit? Because you, you know, here's a guy operating opposite nothing or a giant stuffed rabbit, and you watch that movie. And I think we both mentioned it on the episode that the effects in that film hold up 30 years later. Like the sight line that Bob Hoskins has, you actually believe Roger Rabbit is a real character, and you know that takes some good acting chops. You can't just throw anybody in there. And as we've seen in a lot of films that come up today that have CGI characters, uh, they just don't hold up as well as Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So I thought Bob Hoskins, and again, coming off of you know not being familiar with who Bob Hoskins was and the fact that here's this English actor playing a down-on-his-luck American private investigator, like, I think he pulled off uh, the role really well.
0: Yeah, and to be honest with you, that he was the only he was the only honorable mention I had. Like I said, I, mean, I thought it wasn't the strongest year for lead acting performances, and I couldn't think of anything between Sidney Poitier and Bob Hoskins. And I, I agree with everything you said. Like The ability to act, act opposite nothing, mm. but also have, have to do drama and comedy, uh, yeah, it, that's a very good choice as well. Did you have any other honorable mentions for the uh, best actor?
1: I, funnily, I, uh, my honorable mention was Tom Berenger for Shoot to Kill. Because, again, you know, is that a supporting role? Is that a lead role? But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, Tom Berenger is one of those actors that I think people think of as, um, I I wouldn't say a character actor, but he's a good side character. Like, I don't hear a lot of people touting the lead actor charisma of Tom Berenger, but I think he's a very talented actor. And, I, you know, other than maybe some of the substitute direct-to-video sequels, I'm having a hard time thinking of a bad tom berenger film or performance
0: no yeah I mean, like i said i'm sure we discussed it on that episode but yeah i, I completely agree with you he is is always strong in whatever he does and yeah. i think when it comes down to like is it support or is it lead as we discussed with some of the big business that you know mm-hmm. lily tomlin character elizabeth Shue, or you know this is one of those things where i could see in real life where the studio would put them into the category that they think they have the best chance of winning right Right, like if, if it seems like oh, supporting actor is not very strong this year, let's put Tom Berenger in supporting mm-hmm. actor, you know. Versus, I mean, so I think we're gonna have. I think as we do these with each year of the show, which I hope we can continue doing, um, we're probably gonna have a few choices like this as right. well. Um, before we get to best picture, I thought let's 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 end with that one. But mm-hmm. before we do that, let's do. I wanted to do best soundtrack. There's something mm-hmm. I was asking if you had any or my, any suggestions for other categories. My wife had suggested it, and so we'll start with you, Chad. What did, did you have a choice for best soundtrack from a 1988 touchdown movie?
1: Well, when you proposed this category to me, uh, obviously there were two movies that jumped out right at me, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to base it off of just hit songs. I actually went through either Amazon Prime, not a sponsor, <laughs> or or YouTube, also not a sponsor, and looked up to see if these films actually had soundtrack albums released. And, oh, okay. And so like Who Framed Roger Rabbit does have a it's it's like half score, half songs from the film. And yeah. um and Harper Hotel had a soundtrack, like you had to I had to cobble the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think the rescue was just a score. Um so yeah. So I actually, I actually put some thought into this and listened to every soundtrack album that I could find. Oh, wow. And, so that I could make an honest decision, which kind of surprised me because what I ended up choosing is probably not what I've... Well, I know it's not what I was expecting to, but I went with Beaches.
0: Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Well for the record I did I was just I, I think if we continue this category mm-hmm. moving forward, I just want it to be what were the best songs from the movie. Yeah, you know, like what which movie you thought had the best soundtrack. Not necessarily something that was commercially released, but mm. uh why did you choose Beaches, Jen?
1: Well, I think the two the other obvious one is cocktail. Yeah. And you know, everybody loves Kokomo, everybody hate loves don't worry, be happy. But listening to the other songs on there, I'm just like, yeah, these are fine, but they're nothing that I'm going to going to listen to again. The Heartbreak Hotel soundtrack, which you know, uh, kind of played into part of my favoritism and bias I, with the Alice Cooper song. But they used I'm um, 18, which is you know, it's <laughs> as a, as a song that I never need to hear again. As much as I like the song, and I'm also not a huge Elvis fan, so. Okay. Uh, so yeah, but listening to the Beaches soundtrack I Even when Beneath My Wings Which would probably only get played Like once every 10 or 15 times It actually came up on shuffle uh, it, It's still a good song And the rest of that soundtrack is really good It must have been cold there in my shadow To never have To
0: let me shine, that's your way. You always won't step behind. Yeah, no, I mean, I, like I said, I, I found it on Amazon Music as a free listen. And uh, we mentioned Under the Boardwalk mm-hmm. in our episode. And there's a song on there that I really love called O oh, Industry. And it's the mm-hmm. song that she sings when they're doing like that experimental uh, theater performance. So, yeah, no, I, I, I told, it was one of my honorable mentions for sure. Like that's I, I have no qualms with mm-hmm. that. I, I really thought I thought you were going to go with Cocktail just because it's also got, you know, the Georgia Satellites version of Hippie Hippie Shake. Yeah. I like that. It's got, you know, When Will I Be Loved by the Everly Brothers. And it's even got Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer. Now, I don't know if that's on the official soundtrack release or if it's in the movie. So I was just looking at the way the songs mm-hmm. were contained within the film itself. You know, so so that that's why you 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 touched on it a few uh, a few times already. But my choice for the best soundtrack was Heartbreak Hotel, and again, it's I'm not I'm not a huge Elvis fan, but I think that movie was just carried on the enduring legacy of those songs, and they were the, and they're perfectly used to push the story along at just the right points. I mean, you've got songs like Can't Help Falling in Love and uh, Love Me, Burning Love, a lot of love songs with love <laughs> in them. Um, if I can dream, he plays at the end. You know, I mentioned on the show my favorite uh, Elvis song is his latest flame, which is is in there. Uh, even mystery train, ready Teddy, and of course the title track. They do a really great version of that. Like I like how they change it up a little bit. I give it so lonely, I die And though it's always crowded You still can find some room For broken hearted lovers To cry that I give it, be a little baby I have been so lonely, baby I have been so lonely, baby And as you mentioned, I like that they had two major songs that were not by Elvis. And that was I'm 18 by Alice Cooper and also Drift Away by Dobie Gray, which is interesting, though, because Drift Away actually came out in 1973 and Heartbreak Hotel is set in 1972. So I don't know if it's too like anachronistic, but I just feel like, you know, Elvis and his songs are weaved into the fabric of popular music. And so, like, in a way, maybe the point of the film was that the king, you know, he still got it due to the strength of these classic songs. And I, that's just, I think that's why it stood up. As um, From an honorable mention standpoint, uh, I really only had Beaches and Cocktail. And I also threw a shout out to Big Business, because mm. it had Steve Winwood's Higher Love. It's also got George Benson's version of All On Broadway. And of course, the, old, the opening credits are sing 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 by benny goodman which is just one of the great sort of big band songs did you have any other honorable mentions you said i'm not talking about i guess were you listening to some of the scores but (laughs) Uh, the
1: yeah the only one i listened to was who framed roger rabbit and that's a you know that's one that i could see putting on while i'm like cleaning the house or you know just doing something with music on in the background
0: yeah. Now we're we talking about we this talking about score, or they actually where there songs from that film.
1: It's both well, it's mixed. It's mostly score, but it has the song that Roger sings in the uh, oh, when yeah. he's in the bar and the like uh, the sun smile song at the end. Oh yeah,
0: smile, darn you smile. Yeah. do like that a lot. And yeah. the, the dueling j-
1: pianos with the audio from Daffy and Donald. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, and the Jessica's song and
1: Jessica's song. Does. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. Uh,
0: well, we've come to the end and. Uh, Again, we've we got 10 movies to choose from, so not a whole lot, but we did have some good movies that year. And so, Chad, if you want to start us off, what was your choice for the best touchstone picture of 1988?
1: Uh, I'm going to agree with the movie-going audience and say the best touchstone film of 1988
0: is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Ah, uh, see. And there, there we finally have our overlap, because <laughs> I, too, chose Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Chad, why did you choose it? Well just
1: looking at the at the nominees that we had I think you know other than heartbreak hotel I can't see myself well I'm contradicting myself cuz I could I could watch big business or shoot to kill again I I found both of those to be entertaining but I just think from a technical standpoint and entertainment standpoint who framed Roger Rabbit checked off both boxes
0: Oh no doubt no doubt Yeah Yeah and I think like I, I was thinking, like you know, for a movie that's known for its strong visuals, I think it has an incredibly solid script, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a, it's an excellent mix of of comedy and mystery. And I don't know about you, Chad, but I don't I, ne- I never really thought that the cartoons were a distraction. No, right? like it didn't seem it didn't seem too gimmicky.
1: No, I agree with you. I think it, everything blended well. It was incredibly well done. And yes, like you mentioned, story is very important. And ha- having read the source material. I can tell yeah. you, the finished product is much stronger than the
0: source. Yeah, and then the acting, as we've discussed, you know, you got terrific performances all around. Bob Hoskins is a great hero. Christopher Lloyd is a great villain. Joanna Cassidy is as great as that love-lorn romantic partner. And I even thought that the voice actors mm-hmm. were were perfectly suited for the film as well. Like it doesn't, it was. I mean, you're you're watching the Jessica Rabbit, and you know it's Kathleen Turner, but yet she just it just fills that role so so perfectly and i don't know and it's three decades later and yet the film still seems so groundbreaking and like you said i think there's a reason that the movie was never it's not been dismissed as a gimmick because the filmmakers were on top of their game and they made a film that strictly it stands the test of time you know Mm -hmm. looking at it i i was nervous to watch it because i'm like okay is it going to be as good as i remember it when i was in film school i studied robert zemeckis and i took a class on him and we had to watch it and so it had a different, different eye. And Now, watching it this many years later, I was thoroughly entertained just as much as I was back when I saw it in college 20 years ago and when I saw it on home video 30 years ago.
1: Look, Valiant, the rabbit didn't kill Acme. He's not a murderer. I should know. He's a dear friend of mine. I tell you, Valiant, the whole thing stinks like yesterday's diapers. Look at this. The paper said Acme left no will. That's a load of sucker dash. Every dude knows Acme had a will. He promised to leave Toontown to us toons. That Will is the reason he got pumped off. Has anybody ever seen this, Will? I uh, know, but he gave us his solemn oath. If you believe that, that Joker could do anything, Salam, the gag's on you, pal. I just figured since you were the one who got my pal in trouble, you might want to help get him out. I, I've got nothing more to add. I think you summed it up nicely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, 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 the, and the funny thing is, the only two other films I had as honorable mentions were the two that you mentioned. Big Business and Shoot to Kill. Um, as we as we discuss on our show, we like to give the films uh, uh, rank them on a scale of one to ten. And I kind of looked back through my choices from the year, and Big Business, Shoot to Kill, and Roger Rabbit all got eight out of ten for me. And what was funny it was in 1987 when we when we did it, our Touchdown movies, uh, Can't Buy Me Love got a nine. So that to this point, so far, and how many years we've been uh, we've covered on this show, Can't Buy Me Love is the only movie to get a nine out of ten. So I only had three out of 10s this year. Were, you, were there any other movies that stood out to you this, this year besides Big Business Shoot to Kill and Roger Rabbit? No. You
1: know, I mean, Heartbreak Hotel, like we said, is, it's a fine film with, fine. A lot, with a lot of flaws. Uh, the Good Mother is just one of those films, and I think we'll kind of touch on this more on the first episode of 1989, where I think Touchstone was trying to be more dramatic and go for an mm-hmm. older audience, but it just – doesn't resonate, and and there were some issues that I had, you know, moralistically with the film. Um, The Rescue, as I mentioned in the show, it's just a rip-off of Iron Eagle, and if you're going to (laughs) rip off a classic, you better do a better DOA. Again, it's it's just a film that's there. Uh, Ernest Saves Christmas is a fine Christmas film, but I can't see a lot of people busting it out outside of the December holiday season.
0: Yeah, Uh, Beaches is really the only—I mean, I think— I think there's probably some. There's probably a whole segment of our population that would put beaches as the best 1988 touched yeah. on. I just thought it was, you know, a little bit too melodramatic. I mean, I love the score, I love the acting, but as you mentioned, which one of these movies are you going to throw on again? Mm-hmm. And I think Roger Rabbit, for those of us that have Disney Plus—not a sponsor—we <laughs> have the luxury of, of being able to watch it should you want to put something on the background. And like you mm-hmm. said, hell, you can even put the soundtrack on the background sometimes too. So. Yeah,
1: and Cocktail, I just. That's Tom Cruise star power all the way. That's and you know, if you cast it with anybody else, you have a you know probably a thirty million dollar film instead.
0: And I know when we did our quick little recap of nineteen eighty seven during the last episode of the eighty seven uh, movies, that was uh, Three Men and a Baby and Good Morning Vietnam. If you want to go back and listen, um, we did our best and worst movies. I didn't want to specifically do like worst movies on this on on our Ronnie Awards. Mm-hmm. I want to like, stay positive. But I think if I were to choose a worse movie of 1988, it would be Cocktail. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's not because of any failings. You know, the other movies, such as The Rescue and DOA, had their issues. But Cocktail was the only movie that I watched this year that I was, like, physically upset. Like, I was angry at the movie. That I, I, I When I was done sitting through it, I just I was just like, ah. And unfortunately, 1989, we started watching some of the movies in <laughs> 1989, and there are some stinkers. And we're only early in the year, yeah. so I'm a little nervous that... The when we do the Ronnie Awards from 89, it might not be too <laughs> difficult to come up with. It. We're gonna have a lot of overlap. Then.
1: Yeah, well, let me spin the cocktail thing to, to make it more positive. Where I said big business was the biggest surprise, instead of saying cocktail is the worst film, I'll say it's the most disappointing because I think of the legacy that it has. As we mentioned on the show, neither one of us had seen the film in its entirety prior to setting down to watch it for the show, and I think carries that legacy of, you know, Tom Cruise in the 80s and the soundtrack, as we mentioned, and all the pieces just didn't come together. And you're looking at it also through the eyes of 30 years later being like, no, there's a lot of issues with this film. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't want to say Cocktails is, the, is a terrible film, but it definitely does not live up to expectations.
0: Well, that's the, and that's the thing. See, I actually lowered my expectations <laughs> when I watched the movie. So I think if I had to give a most disappointing film for mm. Touchstones, it would be DOA, mm. because I watched the original one the night before, so yep. I knew the plot, and I, and I thought, okay, this, there's a chance. It was from the people that directed Max Hedrum, so I'm like, okay, this might be really cool, cutting-edge, uh, stylish, and boy, it was just <laughs> it, was, it was so laughable at that points. And, and I think if you're going to say something disappointing, you have to say where your expectations were at. And I had mm. higher expectations for DOA than I did for Cocktail. And whereas DOA is better than Cocktail, but it, I wanted it to be better. I guess yeah. I don't know. Um, I guess we can wrap up now. Uh, is there anything more to say about this year? I think we, we, we it's a decent slate. We had you know you had, the, you had the number two movie at the box office, and another movie that finished in the top ten. Um, we had we saw them taking chances with with thrillers. They they get a nice Christmas movie with Ernest. They get some heavy dramatic roles. Uh, I think it's just kind of on to 1989 now. I don't know what what do you think, Jeff.
1: Yeah, I think we can put the pen in 1988 and flip the calendar over, and let's get ready for. Well, do we have to leave 1988? Because, like you said, 1989
0: starting off rough, but, but yeah. I, I think we
1: have to. You know, we have to plow through 1989 to get to 1990.
0: And we'll we'll see. I mean, again, I'm this is fun for me. I, I remember a lot of these movies, and it's fun. It's fun to watch how they came out chronologically and see what fit together. Yeah. So, for our next episode, just a quick preview. Uh, 1989, Nick Nolte. We got a lot of Nick Nolte, <laughs> so it should be should be an interesting discussion and also uh, an anthology film, which you just don't see very often anymore. Um, and once again, this is out of touchstone. My name is Mike DeKalb You can find me on Twitter at Mike DeCalve. I'm also the proprietor of the Out of Touchstone Twitter account at Out of Touchstone. You can reach me on on email as well, out of touchstone at gmail dot com. Uh, my co-host Chad Smart. You can find him on Twitter at Chad Smart. He also runs the Positive Cynicism Podcasting Network, the hashtag PCPN, with a new episode every week. We do one, he and I do one once a month called Wonder Why, where we discuss one hit wonders and their legacy. So for Chad, I'm Mike. This is Out of Touchstone, and we're out of time. Out of of Touchstone is a Honey Nerds production. For more information, visit outoftouchstone.com. Like and subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. So, you're cool, I'm cool, we're cool. Thank you.
1: Good night.